Hello and welcome to the ABC Music Talk podcast, the show for anyone interested in the music industry. This week, my guest is an absolute indie legend. And when I saw his thought leadership piece in Music Week on how artist marketing can unite the industry, I knew he would be a great voice of reason to add to my ever-growing list of incredible guests. We had a chat and came up with a theme for this show called Pick Your Team, as the piece he wrote was all about the people that make this industry tick. But before we get into all of that, it's time for me to remind you to go rotate your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. Welcome to the show, CEO and founder of Cartel Music Group, Charles Kirby Welsh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. And uh, thank you for coming to The Halley, the new co-working space in East London, who have very kindly lent me one of their recording studios. So listeners, you are graced with a nice dead room again. I've just realized that Charles is now looking slightly crestfallen because he thought this might actually be my recording studio. <laughs> uh, we're all good. Okay, we're going to uh, elaborate on the piece you wrote for Music Week in a bit. But as, as I just sort of mentioned, we as we were talking about this as a sort of prep for the show, I remembered that there was a book that I read when I was learning about the music industry called Everything You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald S. Passman and the very first chapter was called Pick Your Team and it just felt like a really good title for this show. But first, all of my guests, they have to tell me their backstory. So we need to learn, how did you become what you are today? Yeah, um, okay, well, I'll give you a small potted version of that. So I I got into music in the 90s through through dance music culture, rave culture, and, and, and that kind of led me to DJing which was probably the only careers advice I listened to and moved from from Yorkshire to to London to kind of get closer to the action as it were. Went to university and ended up DJing more and getting into the the music industry which I really had no knowledge of prior to that and I kind of fell into an internship at Virgin Records uh, at the end of the 90s working in the dance department great team and just just learning about what what major record labels were all about the more time i spent there the more it didn't make sense to me and eventually i left and went to work in a record shop and started a management company and the management company was cartel and that was sort of early early noughties and you know to cut a long story short management turned into progressively turned into uh, recorded music servicing of, of artists that we were managing artists that either wouldn't do a record deal couldn't find a record deal couldn't find the right people to do a record deal with and decided that they could do it themselves whether that was putting out a white label or putting out a full record so yeah the, the rest is kind of history um i just got more and more into the world of independent distribution uh independent marketing of, of records but always with a backdrop of not wanting to have a record label which might seem at odds with most people who get into that sort of environment but uh, having having come out of a label environment and seeing it not work for the artists particularly the niche artists at, at virgin that was the thing that uh, i think really kind of resonated with me virgin's always had a, a great roster of, of underground talent um and they they didn't always fit there from my perspective so so yeah coming at it from an artist industry 
mindset, which is the mindset of a manager ultimately. But getting into the recorded music space at a time when you know, DIY distribution was just starting to really explode. So you know, you had iTunes launching, you had many an independent distributor aggregator starting to 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 scale at that point. So we kind of so what sort of year was this? So this would have been two thousand three, four, five. Yeah. Right. Um, and um, yeah, with iTunes launching and sort of the digital music economy starting to actually uh, accelerate, yeah, that that was the beginning. Yeah, yeah, and, and nearly twenty years later, that's that's really what we do, and it's it's evolved massively in that time, as as you well know. But um, it's been an interesting journey. Okay, so it's interesting. I mean, we sounds like we had similar sort of starts. I started in dance music at a major record label, right. yeah, and yeah. sort of worked my way into the indie world very quickly. From there, that's very cool. Uh, thank you for that. Okay, so the article itself was an attempt at demonstrating how important the expert human touch to marketing is required to get the most out of a record release. Mm-hmm. In fact, you talk about how just working a record isn't the right approach. Um, so can you give just for the listeners benefit who perhaps haven't seen it and I will put a link to it in the in the show notes just to kind of just flesh out kind of more about what you were kind of getting at there with the article yeah I mean it, it comes from a day-to-day reflection uh, that we have in in what we do as as you know cartels principally a artist label services business that is centered around a distribution baseline so we, we distribute music digitally and, and physically and and help the artists navigate and manage that part of their business so what a record label kind of does or did and and continues to do in in, in different spaces and as we do that activity and progressively i think in the last 10 years the promotional and marketing work is is often not exclusively centered around selling records obviously with streaming evolving over the last decade particularly your the focus has moved from how many units can we sell week one to how engaged can our audience be um, and as you start to shift that, you're you're starting to think about you know developing an artist audience, which is an investment in the artist business, you know universally, holistically, as much as it's an investment in that individual record campaign. I think the the challenge for companies like us and record labels and people who are solely uh, engaged in the recorded music business is that you're only participating in one area. And there've been all kinds of experiments in extrapolating that into 360 areas, and they sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But the the objective and the end game of that activity is really to help build the artist business as a whole. So what I was trying to get at is just to to raise that as a talking point and make it more central than it often is when you're doing a, a record deal or an indie distribution style of a record deal, because the for everything from finance to human resource. To the technology that you can deploy in in kind of executing those goals needs to look at the holistic goal not just the the outcome of, of of streaming a track or selling a record when we talked about this afterwards it felt like really what you were also getting at was you're, you're explaining the fact that all of these different parts are really important but really it was kind of almost a way of trying to get people to think of how do you pick your team mm. right how, how do you how do you approach this process of of putting a record out because as you say, it's not just about putting that record out because it's not just about putting it on the shelves and hoping it sells. Mm. It's now much, it's a longer game, right? And, and often, you know, these artist careers are the, the thing that really you should be focusing on rather than each individual record. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, there's, the album is, is never going to go away, thankfully, but it doesn't suit every situation 
and every artist in every moment. I think, you know, there, there can be chapters of an artist's career that take them through different sort of dimensions of how they might release recorded music. But the fact is that most consumers are consuming tracks at a high frequency and really want to eat as much as they can. So if you're supplying that kind of uh, ecosystem, you, you need to be mindful of, of the environment you're working within. It's, it's very much like a social media environment. So I think, you know, you we have to pivot and think about um, what that means in, in an artist business. And it, and it doesn't mean the same for every artist. So there's, there's nuance and objectivity that needs to come into into focus in, in each campaign. And the central figure for us increasingly or, or often is, is the manager. He has or she has the, you know, the day-to-day -day voice and responsibility for, you know, projecting on behalf of the artist, like what the goal is, what are we trying to achieve here? Why are we doing this? How much should we invest in, in this activity versus that activity? And that's a huge responsibility that wasn't traditionally carried necessarily by the manager. And one of the things I'm trying to get at is for an artist to to be its own record label, which is something that's you know being offered to artists, you know through hard advertising uh, across to sort of narrative and just sort of you know industry pundits kind of explaining what what options are out there. The artists, you know, must kind of step up and take responsibility for their overall businesses and engage in in that process and not be reliant on the parties to to take that responsibility. So they need to put a team in place who can help them deliver on that. It's a real challenge because it isn't necessarily just your manager mm -hmm. uh, or just your manager and your distributor. There's actually many component parts depending on uh, what you want to achieve and, and how far and wide you want to kind of spread your music and, and grow your audience. Is it global or is it very local? Are you just starting out or are you already a kind of recognized global name? Um, and presumably, I mean, you, you've mentioned about how the central, the role of the manager is in an increasing way. I guess the, the set of skills that the manager mm. has to now have, and, and that's coming from your experience, presumably is you know, where sort of the genesis of Cartel came from, which you explained was originally a management company. I, I mean, I, I, I like, like you just pointed out, that that's what I've seen, where some of the gatekeepers of things like distribution have become a little bit more commoditized, they're a lot more available. Um, the idea of getting into a shop is now not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first had my vinyl label, I would go to a distributor and kind of plead for them to take on my record so that they could try and get it into a record shop. And, yeah. and, and always that problem was, you know, why is somebody going to come into that shop and buy the record? And of mm -hmm. course, that's that sort of thing has changed because you can now have access and a dialogue with the audience in, in a way that you just couldn't really do before, uh, certainly not on a global scale like we have. No. What's been interesting for me is on this theme is that in places like uh, Southeast Asia, which I, I have some experience in, a lot of, a lot of the times the, the record companies also perform a sort of management function as well. So they've sort of done it the other way around, so to speak. Mm. It seems to be a, that general sort of move towards the fact that these artists are supposed to be creative people. They're not supposed to be necessarily adept at handling their own promotion and marketing and, and all the other things that they are sort of almost expected to, you know, to do now. It's not necessarily a natural thing. So picking your team, getting the right amount of people around you is incredibly difficult. And presumably you've molded cartel around this sort of holistic kind of approach to what does each individual artist need? And you've tried, presumably you've tried to, and when I look at your website, you've got a whole range of services. Mm. And you obviously, 
looking at that as like, well, maybe they need this, this, and this, but not this. Is that is that is that correct? Is that kind of how you? It, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I'm I'm often at pains to try to not describe us as a distributor, uh, and to make a point of difference between what we do, the well, approach. Well, we it, take. well, it's not cool anymore to be a distributor. Uh, no, I mean, yes, <laughs> arguably, um, they they provide a, a you know a very very necessary um, function, of course, and particularly in the digital space, but not exclusively. Physical is still very important for, for a lot of artists. Yeah, of you know, the, the the scalability of distribution has has provided real choice and uh, and you know and options within the marketplace, and that's a positive thing. Um, but you can't scale human engagement. And team, you know that that can't be done through an algorithm. The humans can work with the algorithms and make you know help your music perform better. So we've tried to position ourselves as a boutique and as a more you know a, a smaller company with a smaller roster that has the ability to be a little bit more hands-on. The challenge there is, you know, you are you're looked like for like, like some of the scale aggregation distribution businesses, and uh, it's it's an unrealistic comparison. And we're in an industry that is is still leaning back on um, sort of habitual uh, cognizance of, of what a record deal is, you know. So a distribution contract is still negotiated a little bit like it's a record contract, and people still perceive whoever's providing a an advance, whether it's a distribution advance or a recording advance, to be taking some kind of risk and equity in in the project. And those things aren't really talked about uh, or defined particularly well, I think, at the moment in terms of when we enter the DIY space and an artist is is choosing to retain control, retain ownership, have the freedom that distribution allows, but doesn't want to take financial responsibility for that. That's slightly juxtaposed. And we need to be very re- realistic about you know how that's managed and how the artist and their team perceive it from from a business standpoint, and then how they engage you know the the necessary, people to to work on their record which is going to be a cost for them ultimately so i think you know it there's there's a there's a lot to get into within that for an artist setting up a, a record label or trying to release music independently at scale it, it can be it can be very unwieldy and challenging for their manager potentially and and for them as well which brings you back to the team aspect yeah um to to come back to your kind of question a bit in terms of like what how 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 have we molded the business we have a distribution pipeline and we have a network physical and digital of, of being able to sell and distribute records so that is central to what we do because we have to be able to sell the music but the business is split in two in the sense that one side is is that distribution component and the other side is is a campaign management promotions and marketing component and that's that takes more of an agency uh, representation those that that side of the business can be engaged independently of the distribution and is um, by other labels and distributors and, and, and artists, but it it formed and developed because of a need and because of needing to find a balance with the cost of of putting those types of promotional services and resource in place and how affordable that was for some of our clients or how it wasn't always affordable for some of our clients. So because we have you know some level of economy of scale, we were able to build a team that was potentially more affordable for them or more adaptable to their needs mm-hmm. because we were sort of within the silo of, of what they were doing. So we've molded the company to try and react to the needs of, of the campaigns and the needs of the artists, which brought me to the Music Week piece and this this mindset of a lot of what we talk about is 
you know, the the audience narrative, the streaming narrative, the the creative that supports the music. So you make the music and maybe you make the music video and you have the vision of that, you know, ultimate origination of, of the art form. But then supplementary to that, you need all the assets that, that go within a campaign, whether they're banners or trailer clips or whatever it might be. All of this has to be created and, and understood in a way that it will excite and engage an audience, create the right perception with, with the gatekeepers at DSPs. And you know, there's many facets of, of kind of supplementary creation um, that you need to set up to really execute a campaign that once you get into week of release will move at lightning speed and you won't have time to think about these things after the fact. And you know, that, that's how we've tried to mold the business to be able to support the artist and their team, typically management, to be able to deliver on those things in real time and in a way that is affordable for independence, which is probably um, easier said than done, yeah. <laughs> ultimately, but that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, okay. So it feels like you kind of sit in this sort of middle section. Uh, so you, on the one hand, you've got DIY, true DIY distribution, which is nothing more than a website that anyone can kind of log into, upload their music, and often these days pick a few services from a menu, you know, click a few buttons, and they've got a bit of mastering, they've got mm -hmm. a bit of publishing, they've got a bit of neighboring rights administration, they've got a bit of uh, marketing that, that is, you know, in, in, in excess of what they're already doing. And then on the other end, you've got kind of the major record companies that will, and, and large indies that are very good at just going, we will just take care of everything. Yeah. Um, here's the team, meet the team, and here's some money, and we'll spend that for you. Mm. Uh, and off we go. And then the artist is is in the studio, and they are doing the video shoots, and they're doing you know the photo shoots, and doing the meeting greets, and and that's therefore the very sort of traditional, I suppose, approach to doing it. I guess what you're talking about is where the the manager and therefore likely the artist is, is actively very involved in in what's going on and they they form part of your team if you like or you form part of their team it's probably a better way of yeah <laughs> putting that no in indeed yeah and and so i'm curious about um how do you uh, whatever we do here it always costs some money right whether that's the cost of people's time or whether it's the you know the ads that you're buying on youtube mm -hmm. how do you how do you handle with if you're not the label how do you handle the kind of the business side of, of recoupment and return on investment and all the rest of it i mean do you do you kind of split the the advance with the the management or do you just put it up yourself or do they always have to provide it themselves how, how are things paid for yeah, it, it's a great question, and it, and it's probably how I spend a lot of my my days <laughs> <laughs> navigating this 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 topic. You know, there's there's as you say, there's there's a need for some financial resource to to execute a campaign. One of, one of the great things that we have today is a benchmark of you could call it credit credit worthiness if you like, or predictability in terms of potential recurring revenue, and and that is streaming. Uh, it also comes in the form of of chart sales history and, and and you can look at things like ticket sales and just to establish you know where does this artist live in a commercial landscape and that helps you consider what's proportionate in terms of a potential advance and often how it plays out is you know the the artists and their management have an idea of what they need to to deliver the vision and we look at it and they come to us and say, well, you know, we, we'd like to release this on our own label. We, we definitely need help, um, but we want to stay independent slash DIY. You know, we need, we need this amount of money and a distribution pipeline and a team that can help us execute that. And then, you know, we'll, we'll look at that and, and try and risk assess it. And we approach sort of the financial aspect of trying to resource that completely thinking about recoupability within a short time frame. 
So we're what, not. What's a, what's a short time frame for you? Um, so I, I think the landscape of sort of distribution recoup timescales sits somewhere between six months and three years. Mm-hmm. For us, in an artist services spectrum, I'd say the average is around eighteen months. The ideal is 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 nine to twelve or sure. six to twelve, let's yeah. say. But it's yeah, it's very case specific, of course. For developing artists, it's far harder to predict the outcome, and therefore it's much riskier to to effectively lend or advance marketing resources. And that's that's where the real challenge comes, and that's why we've built a lot of internal services so that we can actually deploy a team rather than hard cash to to try and right. get some of those same results. Um, it's slightly less risky for us to to offer that rather than than money. One distinction that that I think I would make in terms of how we operate is we very rarely, you know, write a check and give it to management and say off you go. We 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 just don't believe that that's the best way for us to engage with with those clients. I think you know there's there's plenty of of managers and teams that can absolutely execute in those circumstances, but in our experience, people actually want a bit of guidance. So everything is done through the lens of a spreadsheet and a budget, and um, we look at phased digital streaming forecasting. We look at physical forecasting, and we 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 try to make sense of a spend versus a revenue stream over time. And the time frame is we we have a kind of three year P and L mechanic. It's a basic kind of spreadsheet that we just run that through and try and use that as a tool to sit with management and the artist and sense check their objectives with what we think might be realistic. The music industry is is rightly really optimistic business space. I think sure. all arts and creative businesses need that that level of optimism. But one of the responsibilities I think for uh, some of the the players in this DIY independent landscape is to try and bring responsibility in uh, the provision of, of funding because it's 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 very easy to spend money promoting music and we, we all know that oh, absolutely it's great fun as well <laughs> it's great fun yeah and and you can do all kinds of things but it's it's not so easy to make it back sometimes and in the space that that you know that we're in the indie space you know slightly left of center alternative music you know it's it's it can be challenging so so we we spend a lot of time in that area at the beginning of a campaign, the beginning of a relationship. Yeah, okay. And so new artists or perhaps heritage artists that perhaps only existed in, say, the, the vinyl world and, mm. and didn't ever you know, build social networks and uh, ever put anything new out on a streaming service. I mean, that, that predictability is a real challenge at that point. I mean, how, how do you kind of like navigate that? It is, it is. I mean, we, we've had some great clients and have some great clients in that space where, you know, they have, you know, careers spanning two or three decades and have, have reached a point in their career where they're free and independent and they clearly have an audience, but yeah, haven't necessarily engaged in the modern world of streaming and, and digital. And, you know, it, it, you get a, you get into marketing and you get into kind of how, how active are their fan base? how convertible are they to to streaming and in some cases really not very convertible mm. at all it, it's still evolving it's still progressing i think there's a lot of um hope over the next five ten years that the more kind of mature genres and mature artists will will see increasing conversion to streaming as the older audience migrate to, to, to the technology um, and that is happening gradually but hip-hop artists and that that genre is, is obviously still governing the, the the younger demographic music is still really driving the big numbers on streaming platforms and this is where physical is so interesting as a as, as part of the business today because it's become 
far more demand orientated. I mean, I, even at the beginning of my career, which is sort of late 90s in the music industry, you could still fill the shelves with some hope that people would just buy it because you'd spread it everywhere. It's um, a supermarket model. Yeah, and, and that that's not really in existence too much anymore. So now there has to be demand for you to put a physical product out there. But if you have an audience, no matter how old they are, if you can get them engaged and you know use some of the amazing kind of e-commerce platforms that are out there today, whether it's Kickstart or um, Music Glue or Bandcamp or whatever, you know there are platforms to test your audience uh, and to you know with some of the heritage and, and more established artists that we've worked with, we've recouped month one. Yeah. on a campaign because physical has just been you know the mainstay well if you, i guess if you execute a really good pre-order campaign exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a shame the pledge music went the way it did because that it, was as a concept was fantastic absolutely yeah i think i think it is a shame and i think um i mean hopefully we'll see some kind of rebirth of, of that type of platform orientated pre-order driven I've, I've started to see a few things around the the live space in terms of tickets so the idea of you know pre-selling those tickets as mm. either online concerts or, or actual concerts themselves i know it's difficult at the moment but that and those companies are then also building in a merch and a physical and a download and a, you know like they're trying to sort of like fill out that revenue stream ecosystem for, for the artists yeah so I, I think i think you're right i think we will see yeah. more of that come around I, mean, I think i think the live space and, and it'll be interesting to see how it how it kind of comes back after you know what's an incredibly difficult time for it at the moment but you know we've we've worked closely with with a number of independent promoters i mean uh, dhp i'll mention as one who've been you know i think very forward thinking in the way that they they look beyond just live ticket sales and they look at the artists and think about ways of cross-marketing the artists and using the live marketing budget to help project and promote the overall artist campaign and you know, record labels and, 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 and artists sort of doing DIY recorded music releases, working with the data that the live business has to have a combined offering, that's powerful. And particularly now where that offering is, it has to be virtual and online. It's, it's, it's a pretty extraordinary moment in that case. But you are seeing opportunities come through that. People, people are engaging, you know, whether like the, the Laura Marling example that came up and the idea that high quality virtual performances can be sold as a premium experience and that can then perhaps be bundled with whether it's a recording of that performance or merchandise or other things i think this brings us back to that idea of an artist industry and marketing to that holistic industry and selling really any type of product whether it's a stream or a piece of merchandise but the team that are working with the artist are helping to reach that end game and build a business and and I mean obviously a lot of focus of late has been on streaming services and and therefore you know playlisting yeah. as a kind of a thing and I, and I I kind of felt like when I was reading your Music Week article that what you were half saying to people that I think have been obsessing over the need to be in certain playlists New Music Friday or whatever it might be as almost like their only strategy like their only kind of goal like their end goal but. My understanding of all of these platforms, I spent a bit, I interviewed um, Chaz Jenkins from Chartmetric, for example, so I have a sort of a, a fairly decent understanding of how some of those internal algorithms work at mm-hmm. Spotify in particular. What, do, have you found, like, especially for new artists, and in fact for those heritage artists, sort of going back to that sort of conundrum of like, how do you take something, you know, an artist that perhaps isn't coming straight off one album cycle into the next, where there's sort of that relative predictability around the next output? 
I mean, how how do you seed these these artists into into this ecosystem that's being built? I mean, are there any tricks and tips that you've got for getting into these some of the playlists, or, or do you could you or do you take the view that actually the playlists are the the bit afterwards? Like you do all your marketing beforehand, and then you hope that you get the the playlisting placements. It, I mean, it's such a topical area. The whole notion of of how do you navigate the from from our perspective as a, as a company that sells the service that uh, enables artists to get onto distribution platforms and have a chance of getting onto playlists. So how how do we express that to to the marketplace? And then from from the artist perspective, you know, just just how do I get myself on, onto these playlists? What do I need to do? And I think from the artist perspective, there's no kind of right answer in terms of how do I get onto New Music Friday. There are just simply a limited number of slots. Would you, would you even aim for New Music Friday? We do aim for New Music Friday in, in certain campaigns, but not in all. So, for example, last Friday we, we released a second album from an artist called Kaiser. People will know from a, her hit Hideaway many years ago. and You know, she's at a level where the conversations, you know, she's a very established name. She's had a lot of success on, on streaming platforms with, with previous music and she's in a pop environment so in terms of just a mass audience consumption those day of release playlists new music daily new music friday and, and the amazon teaser etc equivalents are i think aimed at a very general broad audience like the chart is okay yeah. so i think conceptually musically if you're making popular music then okay you can argue that you could fit and not yeah. be just skipped immediately. Right, because it's the skip issue yeah. that, that causes the problem. It can right? cause the problem. Because it has a downward yeah. impact on the algorithms. Absolutely. So there's there's just being realistic about are you going to fit sonically, musically, culturally, and then you know commercially, is it realistic that you can compete with you know the 70-80% of, of established names that are repeatedly getting into these playlists? Right. Um, so that's that's in terms of those. Yes, we aim for them where it feels appropriate and where we want to hit the runway hard week one on streams. But yeah, you've got to manage that. Uh, you've got to manage the expectations around that with the artist because if you're entering that world independently, uh, you're you're competing with people who probably are investing a lot more money from a major record standpoint into you know their general visibility and marketing at a global level, and that's very hard to compete with on an independent level so you've got to have your eyes open i think going into that i think you know the other the other side of, of that coin in terms of how do you affect streams if you're perhaps not focused on uh those types of playlists you're maybe more focused on genre or thematic or niche playlists which are perhaps just smaller generally in terms of followers and listeners there, there are tangible actions that you can take i mean you know on on spotify which is probably the most visible platform in terms of streams and followers, monthly listeners, and that's that's obviously a narrative that people bring into this equation a lot. Uh, it doesn't mean the platform's more or less important than any other necessarily. You have to think about that in terms of your audience. But because those metrics are public and very visible, you can think about you know monthly listeners to follower ratios, and you can affect the, the follower ratio with a digital advertising strategy. And I think particularly in the last six months, you're seeing uh, an increasing awareness of a focus shift onto how do I bring my audience into this space? And if I bring my audience into this space, that's a positive because more people will engage with the music, which which could potentially affect the algorithm. Um, and it's like sending someone into HMV or Rough Trade or onto Amazon. You know, Amazon as a physical retailer, you know, are, are far more kind of ambivalent to, to your needs as an artist, but it's algorithmically driven. 
So if you want Amazon to have the right amount of stock on the Saturday after you've released your new album, you really need to think about driving some pre-orders into Amazon because mm. if they haven't had any pre-orders, yeah. they won't have ordered enough records and you will go out of stock. Yeah, right, um, right, so, right, right. you know, there's, there's different manifestations of, of where you point your audience and where you generate demand and engagement. And, and I think that's how you need to kind of think about whether you're a heritage actor or, or a new artist, developing your career in a way that is not reliant on third-party gatekeepers. Which kind of goes back to your point about don't just work the record. You know, you've, you've got to look at this in a much sort of more holistic way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so in terms of all the different services that, that you're offering, I mean, do you sort of quantify things like playlist plugging? I mean, do you sort of talk about that as like a, a commodity that you can charge for? Or, or is it not really like that? How do, how do you kind of, what's your sales pitch? We only talk about playlist plugging in so much as it's not a service that you can charge for um, and not a service that you should pay anyone else for. I, I, I don't believe in that as a, as a paid for service at all. Yeah. I think you know that there is technology like you know Submit Hub, for example, where you can deliver your music to a number of recipients that might consider placing it editorially in the third-party playlist space. Mm. In the official playlist space with DSPs, you know, ultimately we we come back to a good actor relationship, well-organized, mm. well-presented type of campaign concept, right? So. We work hard on our relationships with with those DSPs. We 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 try and be a good actor with them and, and make their lives as, as easy as they can be. You you have to just bear in mind the amount of music that, that they're being delivered. It's 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 unimaginable in terms of how could anyone listen to, to yeah. that much. So to be a good partner with those companies is about sort of making their life easy in receiving what we're trying to promote. And that's really, you know, the most important thing that we can do. We can't and we wouldn't try and force them to, to to sort of play anything. We're just not in that position. I don't think anyone necessarily is in the in the independent space. So it's it's about contextualizing it to to our potential clients and and, and explaining it, talking it through, and finding a, an approach that is going to make sense. And often it's you know you're saying slow down. Take more time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean you want it out Friday? It's, yeah. it's Thursday. Like, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. You know the, the lead time is is important. Not least because you're you're actually putting a music a piece of music up you know globally yeah. in a moment and that if you think about that that probably does need to take a little bit of time to do well it's possible to do it very very fast but I think for anyone to have a chance of receiving that piece of music particularly if you're an unknown entity and quantify it quickly to to in a way that they might think this sounds interesting I want to check it out. And I and I already know before I check it out that it's going to live in a certain lane. It's going to be, you know, it's either chill or it's pop or it's dance or it's it's aggressive or it's happy or it's sad. And you know, because algorithms work on with tags and and, and you know, humans also you know have moods in terms of what they want to listen to at any given time. So the more you can inform the listener or the algorithm about what it is you're sending them, they're then pre-armed and pre-warmed to receive it in a way that that could be positive. Yeah. And it, it's amazing to see how how often that's missed because there's so much to think about, you know, in, in terms of an artist kind of putting music out that that, that bit probably seems obvious. It's, it was obvious if you listen to it, what it is, right? But for those of us that are listening to a lot of music as part of our job, well, it would really help <laughs> sure. if you kind of set it up for me. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, 
I think that's probably most profound if you're working in a in a, in a streaming platform. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And, and so, I mean, this is all this is all sort of echoes of the of the original Music Week piece, where it's you know, having this expert team around you because what you're explaining, at least as far as I understand it, is that it isn't just about knowing somebody at Spotify that might be able to get you onto a playlist. It's much more about creating a, almost like an aura around the artist and the, the record itself so that it all travels at the same time that's a bit of radio it's a bit of live it's a bit of social media it's perhaps you know influencer strategy that makes sense that that helps with that sort of what you were just talking about there that, mm -hmm. of course i know what this is that it sits within a particular tribe or a particular you know movement so as the audience when they first come to it and they first see it that they will understand what it is that they're looking at and listening to absolutely and i think it's it's what great record labels have done so well historically and still continue to do today is how do you create excitement how do you create anticipation um for for art for, for music for bands um it, it's it's hard to do it, when there's so much noise and traffic but when when you do it when you get it right um it is unstoppable and I mean, of course, it comes down to taste as well and the right people and, and how you direct it. But that's really what you need to think about. I mean, we, we had a, a session with a, with a DSP recently where we were, we were playing the music of an art, artist and they gave us some tips just in terms of what they would like to hear before we did this. Okay. And they, they wanted to hear really about where the music was from, what it was about, what the artist was about, and what, what their kind of story was. They didn't want to hear about any of the marketing drivers that, that we might be able to throw at them. You know, we're on this radio, we've got this many, this uh, much digital advertising. They wanted to hear the context around the art because they're music fans. So they were interested in that. And that's, okay. it's like when you go to a gig and you watch an artist, an amazing gig sticks with you because of the art, ultimately, the performer. And that will stick with you more than the review of the concert you you read that you didn't go to, even yeah. if it was outstanding. You thought, oh, I wish I'd been to that. But, you know, being at the concert would have been, you know, memorable in a different way, and it's it's the same kind of impact point that you're you're trying to create. So, and that that's a creative process that I think the artists should lead, particularly in in our kind of environment. So they they should be engaged. In and, it. and do you think that that they were asking for that because for them they're trying to curate their uh, shop, if you like, in in a way that is going to be very engaging and sticky for the audience that they're they're intending for it to be so the fact that you've spent a whole load of money on radio plugging doesn't really impact the the aesthetic if you like mm. of of what including your music in their shop front will actually do to their service is that what is that what kind of where you felt that they were going with it absolutely i think i think in some dimensions whether or not you're on the radio or in, or in the press or or you know smashing it on tiktok has no bearing on whether or not you fit in a certain type of uh, you know ethereal playlist or a very kind of genre mood based playlist they they are building those playlists so that they're highly engaging for the listener and are delivering musically uh, and culturally what the listener wants or what they perceive that to be and and that yeah i think often has has no bearing on on the the traditional promotional drivers yeah though in a way that's an extreme i think there's there's a huge middle ground where yes your cultural relevance generally is a benchmark for which gets you listened by those people in the first place so it's not to i don't think you can say radio doesn't matter anymore it's all about playlisting it's it's just not as black and white as that in fact none of it's black and white <laughs> yeah. um so but but you do have to consider 
and, it, and it's positive that there are people, you know, gatekeepers, if you like, working in these places that that care deeply about their playlist and the listener experience, because that's, you know, that's akin to the independent record shop curator uh, who's got the records under the counter that's like, oh, you know, I'm a, I am know what you're into, I've got this one for you. It's, it's a similar concept and it's it's worked for a long time, just in different parts of the, the retail landscape. And I mean, this is a, a theme that kind of sits across, um, you know, the whole process of, of decision making. I mean, if you're if you're an artist and a manager and you're thinking about who will be my partner, is that a record label? Is that a distribution company? Is that a you know, DIY service? Because when we talked before, you know, there's been a sort of a, an ongoing, should we call it maturity in our industry, whereby mm. it's very easy for certain companies to offer half decent distribution network. Uh, some money up front and some low distribution fees but what you actually get for that is what right yeah okay you've got some money you've got your low distribution fee and you've got a decent distribution network but what do you actually get do you get anyone to help do exactly what you've just described which is frame the the, the, the this piece of music in in a way that the audience is actually going to understand it because if you get i mean we talked about you know certain larger companies who have an incredibly overworked staff of label managers or artist relations people that there's no absolutely no way in the world they can possibly have a passion for every type of music that they are being asked to deal with or indeed have the time to mm. do it mm. i mean that, that, I mean, that scale thing you kind of touched on it earlier mm. but technology scales of course but the human beings don't and so coming back to our theme of pick your team i mean it, it is it is it just that the there's a lot of choice which is on the one hand bad because it's confusing but on the other hand it's good because then there's a lot of opportunities to to make different decisions i mean mm. so when people are coming to you what do you find that they're asking for like what is what's the thing like wh- wh- why have they come to you as opposed to let's just call it some of the others that are perhaps slightly more in the press all the time <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to name names we are not because it's, it's it's unnecessary but um yeah. you know it's a point right? yeah no it's, it's an interesting one and and it's definitely changed over i think the last three to five years uh, i would say three to five years ago it was very typical for people to come in and say so and so is offering me this on this rate can you do better yeah, we really like you guys, but really what we want is as much money as we can get from you and as cheap a rate as possible. And and that still happens, but it, it was definitely a baseline of kind of, yeah, I mean, it was disheartening, I think, for, to, to be kind of constantly in, in that kind of space where, uh, you know, obviously we're a business and we need to charge a fair price for the service that we offer and, and all of that and for the human resource that, that kind of comes in, into that. And similarly, those scale businesses need to charge an appropriate price for the technology that they can provide. So it's 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 trying not to look at things like for like, but trying to understand the difference in the options that are in front of you. And that, I think, is in the artist services slash independent digital aggregation world where, you know, to, to kind of reference those those bigger companies, you know, they all offer a version of what we offer, and they all kind of offer a version of, of many many things. But um, they're offering it at different levels to different people. So you, it, it's kind of your responsibility, I think, as the artist and the manager, to just understand that, ask the right questions, and figure out what your needs are, and whether actually the best thing for you is as much money as you can get on the cheapest price. Or is the best thing for you, you know, having a, a team of people that can actually help you get it done, and you're you're probably going to pay more for that. Um, and I think you're starting to see an increasing number of, you know, 
probably similar sized businesses to us or kind of more boutique offerings or splinters from management companies emerging where, yeah, they are offering a slightly more expensive version of digital distribution and, and campaign management where effectively it's you, you've got someone to talk to. So like these days, it's actually really gratifying that we're, we're, we're finding more people coming to us saying, you know what, we've worked with one of these bigger companies and we've realized that actually we really need more support in a certain area and we're looking for that. Uh, and so and can you help us with that? And, and can you just help us with that? Or do you have to do right. distribution and help us with that? Like, what does it look like? And, and how flexible are you with that? Because that, that was always like one of the companies that I worked for. We, we almost could never separate the distribution bit because that was our baseline. That was mm. our business. And anything kind of was on literally on top of that. I mean, are you able to separate those two things? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think we're at a tipping point in terms of this 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 question that we're talking about. I won't call it a problem or an issue because I think it's more of a question of choice and definition. And we have, you know, in probably the last eighteen months, we've we've really defined something within the business which enables us to you know, offer the the promotions and marketing and campaign aspect independently of the distribution aspect. And we've we've done bits of that, you know, in the past, but traditionally with sort of the press and radio team that work in house, they can sort of obviously do that, you know, for anyone to some extent. And well, do, I mean that's but, the sort of thing that people were used to paying exactly. Kind of separate, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's a concept that people really, really yeah. get. But hiring an agency to do to do that combined with social digital marketing, combined with overall kind of campaign lead and management, is um you know trying to bundle that together in a way that makes uh, sense uh, is is something that because we understand the the budgeting and distribution of a record we, we kind of can enter that space in quite a sympathetic place and I think you know we've realized that we can actually probably help some of these bigger distribution companies and bigger players and being part of a team that works with them right, right, um, right. because they do have different resources that, mm. than we have and different levels of reach internationally and more infrastructure and so on and so on so sometimes the combination of multiple players in a team can be the right thing. So yeah, actually the company that you used to work for, we've been doing a couple of campaigns with just on that that level and it's, right. and it's worked really well, That's I think, for, for both. So it's it's evolving all the time. And I think you one of the great things of being small as a business is that you can be nimble. Yeah. Um, so from being a management company to being a sort of marketing agency, you know, it's, it's been, it's an interesting journey, I think, in, in, the, in the space of, of what, you know, I come back to as this sort of artist business. All of that was making me think about something we talked about when we had our pre-conversation. So c communication is one of the big, can be a problem, should we just say that? You know, um, mm -hmm. and I think sometimes that's the attraction of a major record company because you're going to one spot. If you're a manager, you there's one person you call. Yeah. Right? You know, you're either dealing with your A&R person or you're dealing with your product manager and they will help navigate everything else that's going on on the DIY space, I mean, you talked about typically not handing over a check for a manager to go off and then piece together their, their radio pluggers and their PR people and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, and, and you have a lot of internal resources that you've, you've built up. Um, what, what is the, what is the right mix or is there no one right mix to in-house versus disparate collection of people? I, I don't think there is a, there's a formula for it. I think there's, I, I think what, one of the guiding lights has to be your your commercial objective. If you think of kind of any other business apart from the music industry, um, you know, you, you normally just think 
okay, how much do we want to spend on marketing to sell our product? Yeah. And it's quite, you know, it's it's quite tangible. In the music industry, because, you know, if we're, if we're developing an artist brand, then we could invest, you know, indefinitely into that brand and it could return value in many different ways from publishing to live to to, to selling records. So it, it, it's it's a far broader um, kind of consideration. So, but so I think you have to you have to put a timeline on it, and you have to put kind of clear objectives when you're thinking about what type of team are we going to engage, and are they external partners or are they internal partners? There might be economies of scale doing some of the internal services. Certainly with us, that's often how we think about it or present it to clients. But they may not be the right people. They may not fit. The, the campaign, they might not get the music, they might not gel with the manager or the artist. And in that case, it doesn't make sense to kind of impose. It, it won't work. You know, if you work in this business, you, you've chosen to do it, uh, probably not because you, you want to make, you know, your your fortune necessarily. You're, you're passionate about, yeah. about music and culture and stuff. So it's a bit counterintuitive to then work on stuff that you don't get or like, yeah. um, especially in the indie space, I think. So so I, th- I think it's it's about being realistic. I think that's the winning formula. Be re- be realistic. Be objective. You know, focus on your strengths, and 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 you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, as well. I've, often you see people and you see campaigns that have burnt, you know, eighty to one hundred percent of their you know resources financially on release day, and you know, problem with streaming is that you're you're definitely not going to have recouped probably if that's what you've done because you you know it's actually about the long tail um even if you do you know get global new music friday and, and all the best playlists still you you know you, you it might take you a minute to to earn that back so you, you need to be able to keep going you need to be able to sustain campaigns and that can be challenging when you're paying expensive monthly retainers to to people who are you know um, working really hard and have a very high level of expertise and connectivity to deliver things but ultimately you can't afford to retain them for yeah two months two years whatever it is yeah um so yeah that's that's where kind of you know being your own record label becomes a challenge because you know you are running a business and you've got to think about what's an appropriate level of marketing budget um and when do i actually want to make a profit yeah which you know, uh, sadly, a lot of people don't think about that um, until too late. Well, I guess one of the, the advantages that, that larger record companies have always had is that they've been able to fund the new stuff from the old stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, stuff music. Yeah. But you, you, and that's a challenge, especially in this world of well, anyone can be a, a label. Yeah. Right. You just you just you know you just sign up to one of these services and off you go. Mm. But it isn't quite the same to exactly the point you just made there. It becomes a challenge. It is a business. It's about yeah. risk. Yeah. No, I think that that's that's such an important point. You can't go toe for toe with with a business that spent decades acquiring and building a, a catalog business that can allow it to. Yeah, and it's fantastic that that they can do this because it means they can invest, mm-hmm. take extremely high risk mm-hmm. in developing very early talent, and that's so needed. Um, but if you don't, if that's not for you as an artist, for whatever reason that might be, you want more control, you don't want to go down that space, then you've got to build that baseline catalog and, yeah. and build that revenue stream. So that's that's why I say it's a marathon, not, not a sprint. Yeah. Um, you may get lucky along the way, but it may just take a while. So, yeah. And the important thing to do is to pick your team. Correctly. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to leave it there, but thank you so much for coming on and doing that for me. That My was pleasure. Really, Thanks, really, really interesting. Yeah. 
So to my listeners, thank you for listening. Stay in touch with the show via my socials. I am at Alex Branson on both Twitter and Instagram. And also a shout out to the incredible audio assassins who have provided the music branding for the show. Link in the show notes. Thank you once again. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.